Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. We kick off tonight with this question. What's it mean to be a woman in the land of Oz in 2012? We ask it off the back of a range of recent stories. I think it really began with the alleged rape and murder of Jill Maher, the ABC producer, and the powerful community response to it. Hundreds and hundreds of people in the Brunswick area in Melbourne marching to kind of reclaim the streets, that surely women have the right to walk those streets in safety. Then this last week, there was the foul, disgraceful abuse of a Channel 9 female reporter at the so-called Mad Monday celebrations at the Bulldogs NRL team. In 2012, decades after the feminist movement, is it not possible for women to be treated better? Also, over just the last few days, we've seen Margie Abbott, Tony Abbott's wife, slamming the way the female gender card has been played against her husband. I just wonder, how much progress has our society made for women? We'd love you to give us your thoughts in an open house conversation. What does it mean, what should it mean, to be a woman in the land of Oz in 2012? In the words of the movie a decade ago, what do women want? Do you have a story? Do you have a story where you can say, yes, we have made progress? Maybe you can point to a bloke who gets this or not. We'd love to hear your story, your view, your insights. one three hundred forty twenty twenty. While you call, I first wanted to talk with Professor Catherine Lumby, the Director of Journalism and Media Research at the University of New South Wales. She's led a long-term education program for the National Rugby League to confront players about their off-field behaviour and the issue of sexual abuse. Professor Lumby, welcome to Open House. Thank you very much. Thanks Pleasure. very much for joining us. I wonder when you heard about this Mad Monday story at the Bulldogs, and we're not saying players were involved in this, but did your shoulders slump about what went on? <laughs> Lee, um, you know, yes. Okay. Um, I did get that sinking feeling. Um, but I guess what what stops me feeling depressed or resigned to all of this is that having worked pro bono with the NRL for eight years now, um, I'm very aware of how many resources have been put into education, codes of conduct, research into improving the culture where it's needed. And also, I guess, I, I, I have sort of monthly contact um, with some really fantastic people working inside the league who are themselves ex-players, you know, people who have been involved in football all their life. And so what I see that I think the public doesn't always see is some incredibly hard work and some really positive attitudes. And, you know, we also did some research in 2004, which we repeated in 2010, which really showed that there is a positive shift in the right direction with behaviours and attitudes. So that's kind of what I, I try to focus on, because when it comes down to this latest incident, whoever was involved that was felt the appalling stuff, when that happens, it's very depressing, but I think we'll never eliminate all the adverse incidents. Um, and what matters is that there's preventative work being done. But it does raise this question, after decades of the feminist movement, how much progress have women mm. made? Well, you know, I'm an optimist as well as a feminist. <laughs> so, um, look, I think women have made, in the Western world, and certainly, you know, when it comes to fairly privileged women, um, you know, because there are some people who are not that privileged, but when it comes to privileged women, I think there's been huge strides when it comes to, you know, broader opportunities for women and young women, particularly when they're coming through school and into careers and, 
And I think there have been opportunities, you know, for men as well. Yes. I think one of the great things is that men, men, most men have broader lives now as a result of the women's movement. Well, but, you'd hope so. Yeah, yeah, you would hope so. But look, the reality is, if you want to focus on the negatives, uh, and this is why I'm involved in this pro bono work with the league, is that I really care about the bad stuff. There's a, you know, the rates of sexual assault are horrific. Uh, sexual harassment is still a big problem in our workplaces. Elizabeth Broderick, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's, you know, done a lot of research into that, and she's appalled by what she finds. Um, and I think you do get still basic sexist behaviour in some elements of society. But I think the good news is that um, I think community standards around this stuff have shifted irre- irrevocably, um, and it's not the message that most Australians are giving to their children. People are outraged and appalled by this, whereas once upon a time, I think they would have said, ah, oh, these guys are just letting them hair down, let them go, you know. Um, I don't think that's, that's the response that society has anymore. No. Part of the wash-up of all of this came from the head of JCAR, Gary Johnson, yeah. who said this. He said, if a woman walks into some bars in Sydney, she will be ogled. She'll be treated as an object, and that's the way it is. So I ask you, is it or should that no. be the way it is? No, and I think he's confusing a bunch of things there. I say, well, I won't even say with respect. I just fundamentally disagree with that statement. Um, there's a complete difference between wanting to go out, dress up, have fun, but I don't think that equates to saying you'll be treated as an object because I think that's an ugly way of thinking about that sort of exchange. You know, w- women have every right to dress up and make themselves as attractive as in the ways that they want to, and men can appreciate that, but there's a difference between appreciating that and treating someone as an object. Are there ways in which women, too, need to take some responsibility for how they dress, how they present? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I know this isn't a, a view that all your listeners are going to share. Um, um, you know, and, I mean, sure, there's common sense stuff, like when you go to work, you don't dress like you're going to a nightclub mm. because there's, there's dress codes. I mean, and it's the same for men. They don't go in, in a pair of budgie smugglers and thongs you know so there, there's sort of standards around what kind of behavior is appropriate for what social situation or work situation but nonetheless no woman is asking to be treated um, in a manner that suggests she's less than human or she's an object for someone what is the approach that you took in your education program for the nrl an important part of that was researching attitudes the culture in the nrl so look, I mean, I guess what what really defines the education programs, and it's obviously not just me. I'm I've been sort of the key advisor, but there's a whole team of us. Um, the, the approach is an ethics framework. So a kind of moral framework would say, here's a list of do's and here's a list of don'ts. There, there's sort of these absolutes. Now, obviously, some things are don'ts. You know, there are things that are illegal. Sexual assault is a big don't. But within the spectrum of what happens socially off the field and particularly in situations involving women and parties and things like that um, or other people in the community. The sort of um, behaviour we're concerned with is not in the illegal category, but it could go into the unethical category. So um, what we work with the players on is looking at identifying what's the difference between a good night and a good night gone wrong. What sorts of behaviours are going to get you into trouble and damage other people? What does care for self and care for other people look like in this situation? And, and I guess it's ethical because we don't prescribe what people do sexually and socially when it comes down to their individual values. Um, you know, for some people, all casual sex is wrong. Only sex within marriage is okay. Um, so we're not, we're not there to prescribe 
that sort of thing. We're there to say, well, if you are going to get into a sexual situation with someone, what are some of the things you need to be checking to ensure there's consent? What are some of the red flag signs? And, and we get them to kind of work through hypothetical situations and also to share the fact that they've got different values and, you know, to talk more openly about this stuff among themselves. I wonder how you move from something like that being just another wall of words mm. to actually getting through to these blokes mm. to, mm. in a way, setting a new kind of culture. Well, I think that that's why I say it's very interactive. It's very much... I mean, it's very hard to describe it in a radio interview, really. Yes. But that's why we, a lot of it's very embodied. It's about giving them situations that they often play roles in, um, getting very honest discussions going. And it might, and so it's about them sharing with each other. It's not about someone standing out the front and giving them a lecture. That, that wouldn't work, obviously. People just shut down to that. And footballers in particular are very physical people often. So, you know, there's got to be, and there's got to be a lot of humour. You know, yes. you've got to be speaking their language. That's yeah. the first thing. But secondly, I think a lot of listeners will be surprised at actually how engaging a lot of these footballers find it. And a lot of them have actually put their hands up to be trained as ethics educators. Now, I know that that's the sort of thing pe people will laugh at or sneer at. It's good. But it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? good to hear. Yeah, because they actually, I mean, a number, I've had comments over the years from lots of them saying, oh, you know, like doing, the, doing the, that training, that really has improved my relationship with my girlfriend. You know, a lot of it's about healthy relationships, respectful relationships, communication, and I suppose anticipating some of the things that, that some of the situations they get into, um, and also getting people to be ethical bystanders, that is to say, when you see something happening, whether it's your mate getting into a bad situation, or you're at a nightclub and you see some girl who's really drunk, and some guy's trying to pull her out the door and get her in a cab with him, intervene. Don't let something happen when you can see it's unethical or dangerous. Step in. You know, that's actually standing up and being a man. It sounds like, notwithstanding the Mad Monday stuff, mm. you're still optimistic. I am because I, I've seen real change in the culture um, and I also know there's some tr fantastic men that I've met working, that, you know, who, who are ex-players and players and who really impress me. But it will never be perfect and it's a bit like drink driving. I mean... Um, you know, someone, some journalist said to me the other day, oh, well, obviously his education's all failed because of the man, Mad Monday thing. And I said, well, look at drink driving. Every time someone's prosecuted for drink driving, we don't say public education programs have failed. We keep doing them. But we also have laws. So when someone does the wrong thing, that's when the law or the codes of conduct come in. But you don't trash the education just because, you know, some people have behaved badly. Professor Catherine Lumley, very much appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on Open House. A real pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.